Welcome to the SCORE Podcast, where small business matters, helping entrepreneurs, startups, and small business owners launch, grow, and thrive for the life of your business. Hello, and welcome to our SCORE Podcast, where small business matters. My name is Mark Trail. I'm a SCORE volunteer, and here with me is my co-host and fellow traveler, Tom Nixon. Good day, Tom. Hello. No word of the day uh, adjective to describe me today? You know what? We, we started mixing up so much that, that we're getting into more than three syllables, and, and I just, you know that I can't go over two, so I figured I'd better back off. Yeah. Well, speaking of more than three, our in, uh, industrious co-host or tri-host, I don't even know if that's a word, is um, with us in studio today, but he is taking a, a break so there was not to have too many voices on this podcast. We have two guests. Absolutely, we do. And, you know, getting right into it, in our last episode, we spoke about the human resource issues of getting people back to work with April Halliburton, who's one of our SCORE colleagues and founder of all four HR and business solutions. And when we talk about business matters with our SCORE clients and other small business owners, it's usually about these ongoing issues such as HR or maybe finding funding to start or grow your business. These remain critical critical topics, of course, but even before COVID, and especially since the world is changing for business, we see high demand for employees, and at the same time, a significant number of individuals who are not back in the workforce. People are looking at work versus personal life relationship, working remote versus the daily commute as an example. Companies are trying to navigate issues such as equitable pay, social responsibility, and environmental sustainability. And in all of that, they also need to be profitable. These issues are recognized by both the left and right and from a socioeconomic standpoint. We've learned that movements such as conscious capitalism were born of this consensus. Yeah, absolutely. We've actually had a couple guests that spoke to that in the past. Um, You may remember speaking with Angela Barbash specifically. Remember, and uh, we talked yeah. specifically about socially responsible investments. I can't remember the term she used, but it was basically social investors or do you remember? I think it was social impact investing. Yes. Conscious investing or something like that. Yep. yep. Great guest. Uh, people should go back and listen to that episode as well as when we had Don Jones on from the NEI's Neighborhood Business Initiative. It's great guest as well. Absolutely. But- Speaking of great guests, we have a return visitor to the show. Um, We have one Richard Gibbs, who is a fellow mentor in the Southeast Michigan chapter of SCORE. And welcome to the show, Richard. Well, thank you. I appreciate being able to be here. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And you actually came to us with a recommendation for a featured guest who I'll introduce, right? uh, I'll let Mark introduce, but uh, we have to give credit to you for bringing us to Jeffrey Hollander. Yes. You know, uh, it's interesting. I've known of Jeffrey for many years through a friend of mine who lives in Burlington, Vermont, where where Jeffrey resides. I was very intrigued when my friend told me about all the things that Jeffrey had accomplished with uh, his company, Seventh Generation and his subsequent ventures. You know, however, what really got me intrigued was after listening to the podcast that Jeffrey did on NPR, How I Built It, in January, I felt he really had a story and a message that would be beneficial to small business owners and reach. And I reached out to him and asked him if he would share his time with our listeners. 
As an aside, I also recently found out that Jeffrey is not a stranger to SCORE. In fact, he's part of the family because his dad was a SCORE mentor following his successful uh, career in the advertising business. So I am very, very happy and I feel honored to uh, have Jeffrey with us uh, for this, uh, this edition of our podcast. You know, that's fantastic, Richard. And, and again, thank you for thank you for bringing us to our, our attention so we could get it uh, into the SCORE world. And as mentioned today, we'll be speaking with Jeffrey Hollander. Jeffrey has an enviable career, as Richard identified. He's an entrepreneur who started, grown, and exited businesses, generating millions of dollars of ROI. He's an author of six books with topics covering social and corporate responsibility and sustainable practices. He is co-founder and CEO of the American Sustainable Business Council, a growing coalition of over 200,000 businesses committed to public policies that support a vibrant, just, and sustainable economy. You know, it's almost as though he foresaw the pandemic. And I'm just kidding, but welcome, Jeffrey. Good to have you today. Thrilled to be here with all of you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And Jeffrey, beyond the kidding around, you've had a unique outlook on issues surrounding education, the environment, and social responsibility. Where did you get this worldview? Was it nature or nurture? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, You know, I grew up at the tail end of the Vietnam War and was powerfully influenced by the public movement to challenge some of the things that the government was doing, and that certainly impacted me. And my dad uh, was a businessman. He both worked in the advertising industry for many, many years and then became a venture capitalist. So he was a significant influence on me and my business career and my outlook on how to start and run companies. That's great. Um, So Mark said that you sort of, how did you put it? He may have seen the pandemic coming. Um, We're getting all sorts of interesting some good, actually, a lot of uh, challenges, but some good uh, things have happened as a result of what we've been through. One of those is something I'd like to pick your brain about because it's near and dear to your heart. And that is that large companies, small companies, they, you know, the pandemic highlighted some of the economic and social inequities in our society and in our economy. Um, and more and more companies are showcasing what they call their environmental social and governance scorecards, ESG. I want to ask you what that's all about, but they put those in the annual report. And your organization, the American Sustainability Business Council, has been advocating for this for more than a decade. So explain what the ESG scorecard is. And is it your opinion that the large number of businesses in your organization is a sign that there's this growing interest in adopting these types of values? Absolutely. This is a trend that is... uh, well established at this point. And it's what it's all about is creating greater transparency on aspects of the business that we don't clearly understand today. And uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Businesses have both positive and negative impacts, but we don't capture all those positive and negative impacts on balance sheets and P&L statements. If you make an investment in a building or a real estate, you can capitalize that investment on your balance sheet. If you make an investment in your people, your human resource, grow them, invest in them, teach them, that investment doesn't show up on your P&L statement. And it should because it's an asset of your business. Equally important, 
many companies have negative impacts on the environment through things like emitting CO2, which has a big impact on climate change. There is no measurement or required disclosure of those emissions. And unfortunately, we as citizens and taxpayers have to clean up the mess that many companies create through those negative environmental externalities. So ESG is really about disclosure and transparency, giving all stakeholders from workers to investors to uh, communities, a greater understanding of both the business's positive and negative impacts so they can make better decisions about where they wanna work and who they wanna invest in. And we as a society push companies to take responsibility for things that right now they're not obligated to do. Wow, that's again, very good, uh, very good open up there, Jeffrey. And, you know, as we sit back and we watch what is happening with a lot of these new initiatives, a lot of various movements, so often we see it in major corporations, you know, they, they've got the infrastructure, they've got the, 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 you know, revenue support, they've got everything that's really geared towards letting them uh, pursue these various objectives. But we have small business owners out there that, you know, you've got the chief cook and bottle washer, the, the operations where, where they're very tight down to a, again, party of one. What is your organization, the American Sustainable Business Council, doing to reach and educate small business owners about these issues? Great question. And uh, we run a bunch of different programs, and they mostly include weekly webinars on these subjects. So we will do a webinar on how you can find very inexpensive cost-effective software to help you do this analysis. Because you're right, it's challenging for a small company to do the analysis that's required to capture this information. And most of the members of the American Sustainable Business Council are small and medium-sized companies. And we're concerned also from a regulatory perspective that while we want regulatory intervention to force this type of disclosure, that it's not done in a way that puts too much pressure unfairly on small companies who have trouble complying. So we have to both educate and we have to look at regulatory issues <clears throat> to make sure that they don't disadvantage small and medium-sized companies. That's a, that's a go ahead, Tom, jump on that. Well, I was just going to pick up on that and ask Jeffrey, maybe to expand upon what you just said in terms of regulatory. So what is your what has been done? What is your position on what should be done at the federal level? level perhaps we have a new presidential administration uh, at the state level, at the local level. You know, you, you mentioned regulatory. That is always a huge issue for small business owners. Right. Any kind of compliance in anything. Uh, they just don't have the bandwidth. So we, in some ways, I'm assuming your position is that we should compel certain things to be disclosed, but like, where do you draw the line? Just curious on your take on what should the federal government be doing? What should more local and regional governments be doing? Well, most of the focus right now is on CO2 carbon emissions. That's where there is the greatest concern. And that's where the SEC and other government bodies are having conversations about insisting on disclosure on financial statements, particularly on balance sheets and P&Ls. 
And I think that we have to do that in a graduated basis. There certainly has to be an exemption for companies that are below a certain size who have very small impacts and can't do the analysis that's required to do that. The truth is that there's probably about 50 companies in the world that are responsible for about 70% of all the emissions. This is really talking about the large companies, mostly public companies. Most of the disclosure that will happen will be forced upon publicly held companies, not small and medium-sized companies. And you know, we're talking about the Exxons, we're talking about the BPs, we're talking about the Shells, we're talking about gigantic multinational companies. That's where we're going to get the most bang for our buck from a regulatory perspective. And we don't need to impose that burden on very small companies. Mark, did I steal your question? In no, Tom, those were actually good points that you brought out. And we talk about returning to the new normal. And uh, Jeffrey, given what you've talked about and the issues you advocate for, what might the new normal look like from your vantage point going forward? And I want to add a little twist to that if I could is how do we get societal buy-in from disparate groups sufficient to be successful? Because we know out there that, that you know, again, I think as, as Tom had mentioned, we're, we're focused on business here, but we have a lot of people that, that aren't playing well in the sandbox and it, and, it, and it just goes all ways. So what is the vision and how do we get people to rally around that? We have to start with education. I think we've done a bad job in explaining to people why certain initiatives are good for us all. We have to start thinking about we rather than just me. We have to think about the kind of cooperation, the kind of support, the ways in which we can help all companies grow and prosper without having some of the negative impacts that we see in our society. We have real challenges around healthcare. We have real challenges around research and development. We live in a world today where large public companies spend more money buying back their own stock to push up their share price than they do on research and development. That's not good for the future of our country. So we need to look at how collectively we can create a better future for us all. And of course, that involves better attention to healthcare. That of course involves being better prepared. I mean, Bill Gates, predicted this pandemic many, many, many years ago. Many people were not surprised that it came along, but nevertheless, we didn't make the right investments to prepare ourselves in a proactive way to handle it. Those are the kinds of things we need to do for the good of our society and the good of businesses. The pandemic, while it certainly helped a few companies like Amazon, was a huge challenge to, to hundreds and hundreds and millions of small and medium-sized companies. We just can't let that happen. We as a country need to be better prepared so that burdens like that don't fall on our small and medium-sized businesses. Yeah, I, it's interesting. When, as we're talking about this, I remember when I came home from the service, I, I was in from 82. And when I got back in 85, I went for, to work for Chrysler Corporation. In, or I, I should just say, let's say a large corporation down in the city of Detroit. And I can remember talking to one of the executives there that, that were talking about how they had headed into this, this period where you know, they're, they're looking at profitability as opposed to the next reporting cycle. Uh, as, as instead of how it's going to impact them 20 years out. 
And, and we see that today. We, we still see that, that organizations are, are you know, they, they have that earnings report that they have to hit. Um, how, do we, how do we put large companies in a position where they can start focusing on 20 years out and, and not be beaten up, let's say, at the next reporting cycle because they, they, they were off by half a percent as a result? That's a great question and a really important question because good business is business that thinks about the future and thinks about long-term rather than short-term. We have to deal with the structure that we've created. One of the challenges we face is that a long-term capital gain is a 12-month period of holding a stock. A long-term capital gain to get that tax benefit should be 5, 10, 20 years. If you want to be in and out of the market in a matter of minutes, you should pay a higher tax. So we need to encourage structurally that kind of behavior. We also should be looking at stock performance for executive compensation over, let's say, two to three years, not from quarter to quarter. We don't want to incentivize people to push the share price of a company up for a year and then take off and go work somewhere else. In order to get that benefit of the appreciation of their stock options, it should be an average performance, let's say over three or five years. Unfortunately, we've created a system that encourages short-term focus. We have to change that system to create longer-term incentives and people will behave accordingly. I wanted to bring uh, Richard in real quick, um, Richard, because you brought Jeffrey to us and as a mentor of small businesses, right? Because most of your clients, I would imagine, are solo entrepreneurs or very small businesses. What was it about Jeffrey and his, his subject matter that you thought, well, A, you kind of talked about why you were intrigued by what you learned of Jeffrey, but what made you compelled to bring him to this podcast because of how what uh, Jeffrey espouses relates to small business owners? Well, you know, when I, I started here and listened to uh, Jeffrey's story and, and how he grew his business from really, a, as I say, from an acorn to an oak tree, um, I really was very impressed. And more importantly, I was impressed not with so much success, which there was quite a bit, but really some of the crisis that he dealt with. And I think there was a message there that as a business owner, as a person trying to grow a business, or really almost anyone in life, we're always going to deal with a crisis. And it's how you deal with that crisis that really kind of determines where you're going to come out on the other side. So um, that was really the the thing, the, the, the kind of hook, so to speak, that really got me intrigued about um, having Jeffrey with us. Because I think that for a lot of our, our uh, SCORE clients, you know, they're always dealing with issues and challenges. Uh, and some of them succeed and some of them don't. And I think that knowing uh, a little bit about how someone like Jeffrey succeeded in um, his challenges was important and a good message for our clients. And so Jeffrey, knowing that our clients are small businesses mostly and our listeners are small businesses, we are the podcast for Small Business Matters, because you mentioned a lot of the regulatory um, you know, legislations and things, those will probably not be um, focused on very small businesses. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't 
uh, engaged in socially responsible and environmental sustainable behavior. So what would you say to the small business owners? What should they be doing and why will they benefit or why will just all of us benefit? Well, we're living in a world where there are increasingly scarce natural resources and the cost of those natural resources will inevitably go up. So being sustainable and responsible and using those resources in an efficient fashion will position you better in the long term to be successful. So there is a very, very strong business case around sustainability. Today, if you look at companies that are sustainable, typically they perform as well, if not better than the average company. So this is not just about being a nice guy and doing the right thing. It's about adopting a business strategy that is both sustainable and financially rewarding. And just to jump back to the earlier question about small business and survival, uh, I think I almost have gone out of business more times than I have uh, fingers on my hand. there is endless opportunity for business to shut down and close when they face a crisis. And the thing that I've learned that's the most important is that I just have to never give up. I have to say, I will find a way, no matter what it is, no matter whether it's asking uh, the copier company to give me an extra 30 days to pay my bill, whether it's begging on my hands and knees to my landlord for some extra time, There is always a way I've found to keep going as long as your heart is in it, your passion is in it, and you're just unwilling to give up. And to me, that's the key. I've started uh, six companies myself, and fortunately, all of them have survived. But boy, I've been close to bankruptcy more times than I want to remember. You know, I was going to ask a follow-up question to that, Jeffrey, but I think that you've got it. You know, I, I really wanted to dive in uh, when Richard had, had commented on the acorn to oak and and then he used another term, crises. Uh, and, and it sounds like you you pretty much in your own way address that. Is there anything else that you could add about that journey that might be impactful to our listeners today? Yeah, the other thing that I found is that when things are starting to look grim, Most people wait and hope that that won't last. They hope that the early warning signs that they're seeing are not going to persist. And that's the most dangerous thing you can do. Mm. When you get the signal that something's off, that sales aren't as strong as you thought they were, that expenses seem to be getting higher than you budgeted, you've got to take swift action. It is usually the avoidance of taking action that exacerbates the situation to the point at which you can't survive. And you know, one of the hardest parts of that is with personnel. Uh, at seventh generation in our fourth year of business, we missed our sales by uh, well over 50%. And we had to let half of our staff go. We had 120 people. We had to let 60 of them go. That was probably the most painful thing I ever had to do in my life. But if I didn't do it and I didn't do it quickly, the business simply wouldn't have survived. Now, I'm not an advocate of using your staff as a way to save money. I think that should be the last resort. I think there's many, many things you can do to save money before you cut staff. But sometimes you have to do it and waiting won't solve your problems. Point. That's a great point. Well, um, I think now is as good a time as any to bring in our question of the day. 
I think you'll all like this. So Jeffrey, you said your father was a score mentor. Is that right? Yes, he was. Okay. And I, Mark, Richard, and even if Armando wants to join us to answer this following question, we're all mentors ourselves. So I got an interesting question from a mentee the other day that I want to pose to all of you. And um, we'll have Richard go first. The question was, and this came to me from Daniel, if Daniel's listening, he said, help me understand why I'm getting this for free. Like, what do you get? Out? He asked me, what do you get out of it? Why, why do you mentor? And so that's a question we get a lot as, as volunteers. And so Richard, maybe you can take the first stab at answering that question. Yeah, that's a good question. I actually, I've been asked that too. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I spent over 45 years in, in the financial services businesses running my own company. And um, when I started to look down the road and look at when I wanted to move into what I called my next phase, one of the, the points I had put, I actually wrote this down over, over 15 years ago that I wanted to be able to take my years of experience and pass it on to other people and leave, and leave a legacy. And as I, you know, uh, looked around and said, well, how can I do that? Uh, you know, one of the things I thought about was teaching. Uh, but then I had the great fortune of meeting uh, David Broner. Uh, David was uh, a tennis partner of mine, and we talked for, for many years about joining SCORE. And it really was the, with SCORE that I realized that I could actually do what I said I wanted to do, which was to take all these years of experience and really um, work with uh, young, passionate, new business owners or even people who have been in business for quite a while and really help them um, with their vision. And um, so, you know, you know, I... I felt, you know, doing it for free, it didn't matter. It was what I wanted to do. And I felt that this was uh, the right time of my life to do this. So great. Mark, what about you? What do you get out of it? Why mentor? Well, you know, and I, I kind of to lead off of what Richard, I, it just came to me. It's like I turned 50. You know, you, you wake up one day and you have that realization that, if if everything goes right by nature, you know, and you get to live until the ultimate end, those days in front of you are less than the ones behind you. And, and it uh, and it comes down to what you leave behind and you start focusing on that legacy and you start focusing on giving it back. You know, that's the altruistic side of it. Uh, but once you get into it, and I, I, I'm sure that everybody would agree, once you get into things where you're giving to others in whatever format, you start getting back and uh, there's the, again, there's the altruistic end of it, but there's also the opportunity that allows you to explore yourself in, in really test yourself. So, you know, I don't know that anything is ever free in this world. Uh, and, and I found that, that as, as it relates to time here, it's not free, but there are rewards that are beyond the monetary also. So that would be, that'd be where I sat. Great. Jeffrey, you yourself are not a mentor, but you, I'm sure, is probably a chip off the old block. I'm sure you do a lot of giving back. And, you know, David Broner, who you mentioned, said he put it really nice on LinkedIn. He said you should push those ahead of you and pull those behind you. So what are your thoughts on, on giving back and paying it forward to the small business community, Jeffrey? Yes, well, I'm lucky enough to be an adjunct professor at the Stern Business School at New York University. And uh, I have a wonderful group of students that I teach. 
And I am an active mentor, particularly with the students as they go out into the world and create their own businesses and stay in touch with me and ask me for advice. And, you know, the thing that I find is it keeps me on my game. It keeps me in front of the most pressing and current challenges that they're experiencing in the marketplace. And I learn from them. I get ideas, I get thoughts, I get things that I didn't know myself. And uh, it's a way for me to keep growing and learning as I'm sharing some of the things that I've learned in the course of my business career. Great. And do we want to hear from Armando, who's lurking in the uh, shadows here? But let's hear from Armando. If we can get him out of the booth, unmute him. Um, Armando, why do you mentor and give back? Well, thank you very much. Um, you know, one of the things that I heard from Gino Wickman that really resonated with me is he says that you teach what you needed to know. Hmm. And so, you know, for me, I grew up in an immigrant business. My father was an immigrant, you know, so he was a default entrepreneur. And so I watched him struggle. And so that sort of imbued me with the idea of actually working with the Hispanic community and bringing Hispanic-owned businesses into the mainstream of American economic life. And that has been my purpose for a really long time. And I'm doing it again in Tucson or still in Tucson, where I can see that I can make a difference. And it's so rewarding to bring, you know, the knowledge, the experience and trying to help people avoid all of the mistakes that I saw my father make and that I myself made as well. And it's really incredible when you actually succeed and help people get the support and the help and the money that they deserve. Love it. Great. Well, this has been a really uh, informative and interesting conversation. I appreciate uh, Richard, you hooking us up with Jeffrey and um, Jeffrey, before we let you go, uh, tell people where they can find you or learn more about your organization. Yeah. All you have to do is type into your search engine, the American sustainable business council, and you'll get to our website you'll find out all the issues that we're focused on. You will find out what's involved in joining and becoming a member, uh, what our webinars are that we run on a weekly basis. Everything you need is right there on that website and I'd love people to check it out. And if they dig a little deeper, they'll even find my email address in case they wanna reach me personally. Cool, well, we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes, right, Mark? Absolutely, we will. All right. Well, again, thank you, Richard. You're welcome. Appreciate it. And thank you, Armando, for chiming in. And uh, I guess we'll wrap it there, Mark. And we'd like to say thank you for listening to today's SCORE podcast. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur or small business owner in the early stages of a business, this podcast is produced by SCORE to deliver information you can use to become a successful business owner. Join us again for another edition of our SCORE podcast. Thank you for listening to the SCORE podcast, where small business matters. For show notes, additional resources, and access to the tools discussed in this episode, please visit us at semichigan.score.org.